0: Hello, hello, hello. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World, where I've finally managed to come on and leave the music in the background. Finally. Hopefully that's coming through to you. It's certainly coming through for me. That's good. Uh, cool. So hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. Uh, I'm your host, as always, Kane Sims. And today we have an epic episode coming to you with Brad Cleveland, who is uh, One of the literally leading experts in customer experience, customer service, and leadership. He's worked all over the world across America, uh, Australia, Canada, with government organizations, large financial institutions, uh, even Apple included in there as well. He's an author, Uh, a couple of books, which I'm sure we'll get into some, Leading the Customer Experience, uh, the most recent one, and uh, Contact Center Management on Fast Forward, Succeeding in the New Era of Customer Experience, which is going to be what we're going to discuss today. And uh, before we do that, I'd like to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor, Deepgram. Deepgram is industry leading speech recognition technologies so that anybody working on any kind of voice technology, voice assistants, voice bots, things like that, whether it's in your call center, on devices, uh, in apps, on websites, wherever you are working on those voice assistants, uh, Deepgram is basically a place to start for your speech recognition without a shadow of a doubt immense speed, which means that you're not waiting and delaying while a speech recognition is processing. It's incredibly high accuracy so that you can feed accurate data into your NLU models. You can retrain it as well based on your specific industry domains or specific industry use cases and jargon and all that kind of stuff. Uh, So do check it out, deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. If you are uh, looking for some speech recognition services, that is deepgram.com forward slash VUX world. And uh, without further ado, uh, we've got Andre Gordina saying, looking forward to this one. So am I, Andre, definitely. Uh, and let's do that, shall we? Let's get into this episode of VOX World with Brad Cleveland. Brad, welcome to the show.
1: Hey. Hi, Kane. Thank you so much. It's really a privilege to be part of things. And I love the podcast, by the way, the, the case studies and the great content. I've, I've learned a ton. so to be invited to... Help out today is just terrific. Thank you. Nice one.
0: Appreciate it. I appreciate your time. Uh, It's always uh, it's always interesting. We've 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 had you know, yeah, lots lots of different kind of discussions on this podcast. But it's it's nice every now and then to uh, we spend a lot of time really in the depths and the weeds of kind of AI technologies and conversational AI, NLP, all that kind of stuff and. The whole point really is to figure out where this stuff has its place to improve the customer experience, where it can add value to businesses and customers. Um, But it's always, we speak... um, at a granular level in terms of that technology or at a strategic level, but as far as the implementation of the technology is concerned. So it's nice every now and then to kind of stick your head up, have a look at, a, at you know, an overview of what's actually going on, where this stuff sits, and, and broadly speaking, the trends and, and kind of notable happenings within the customer experience industry at large. Really, and I think you are the absolute mm. perfect person to do that with us. So I appreciate your time.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks so much. And and again, the the case studies that you have, I I like to go back and just use the the podcast titles as a reference for different areas of you know, solutions and case studies and focus it's just been a great resource. So thank you. Mm, mm, no worries. No worries. Uh,
0: so, so tell us a bit about yourself then, Brad. So, so two books out, which we'll get into, um, you know, you've been working in the field of customer experience and customer service for, for quite a while. I wonder if you can kind of give our audience a, a little bit of a, a kind of intro to yourself and a bit about what you do.
1: Yeah, sure. So, um, I'll keep this quick. I'm going to go way back in history here for a moment. My my first real job, which cemented my you know really my passion for all things customer experience, but I worked for a, a telecom computer systems company, uh, and this was back around the time I was going through and shortly after the university, and I was the lowest employee on the on the roster, and my job was to run cable. So for these systems, so I spent most of my days underneath corporate buildings and hospitals, these these other businesses we were we were um, uh, serving and it, it was hard. Dirty, dusty work. I'd, I'd come home looking like I'd been coal mining all day. Um, but uh, I had some great supervisors, and they're they're like, you know, hey, you're a part of the information economy, and the future is is going to be amazing as we as we bring these capabilities online. And I remember one day I I got scolded. I, I was above ground working for um, working um, directly with. Uh, customers installing the equipment in their offices and had left fingerprints on a computer monitor. And my uh, supervisor really, really gave it to me. Like, look, they've spent all this money, done all this training. They're excited about this system, and the first thing they're going to see are your fingerprints. He added a few choice words to <laughs> underscore what he was saying. And it, I felt about this high, but I needed to hear it. You know, wow, he's right. Everything adds up, and and customer experience really. Um, fascinated me I, I remember reading a book by jan carlson you know back in that day uh, called moments of truth and he was uh, ceo of and airways and he used to use examples like coffee stains on an airline tray you know you get on a flight and fold down the tray and there's a, a coffee stain from the last flight you're going to wonder is that how they take care of their engines and so we conflate these things as customers and, and anyway long story short I, I went on to work in and around customer service roles and Uh, various things and uh, i became a a co-founder in icmi the international customer management institute Um, worked my my business partner at the time gordon mcpheris was a real visionary and 20 years my senior he retired a few years later and i became ceo and served there for many years but what a great experience working with him and just all these doors open like I i had the chance to work with Small organizations and large organizations and those in between and various levels of maturity and had this front row seat into these decisions and what was working and and what wasn't. So anyway, it's been it's been a a journey with a lot of serendipity and just kind of going through the doors that have opened. But I, I just love this field.
0: Mm, interesting. Yeah. The, the ICMI, I mean, um, everybody knows the ICMI and, and the kind of work that that it does and stuff like that. And how, what kind of, what led you to kind of where you are now, you know, writing, you know, books and, and kind of consulting ind- independently now, correct me if I'm wrong. Is that right?
1: Yeah, so um, uh, we sold ICMI in, um, oh, it's been over 10 years ago now, to Informa, uh, a London-based organization. They were actually United Business Media back at the time. UBM got acquired by uh, Informa, which was a great opportunity for ICMI because it gave us an even bigger footprint and the resources of really one of the largest media companies um, in in the world, so we were able to reach even more nooks and crannies with contact center customer facing, you know, research and, and work that we were doing, and just all things customer experience. Um so when you sell a company, they normally want the door to help push you out. I mean, it's not yours anymore and and and, and your advice is not helpful. Thank you very much. <laughs> that hasn't been the case with with informa they they've rolled out the red carpet just i I, I still advise them today. Um, but, but they're also like, Hey, go do what you love to do. And, and so I'm, I'm doing courses for LinkedIn on, on LinkedIn learnings platform on customer experience, about a dozen courses there. Um, I'm doing independent consulting and, and just lots of speaking and just some really fun things that come along that, um, allow me to stay out there and, and, uh, you know, see what's happening firsthand mm nice nice It's whenever I think about customer experience
0: i mean my my background is is kind of like more in on the marketing kind of front. I did marketing like uni worked at a few agencies and stuff like that I started working on kind of like um service design kind of initiatives where you know' more like end to end sort of transactional stuff did a lot of work in government and working on that kind of service design stuff um and so it's when I think of customer experience. It's, it's a bit like, I feel as though it's a bit like the term branding, which mm. for me, coming from, if I think about the marketing side of me, I think everything's branding. Your product is branding. The way you talk about yourself is branding. The the design choices that you use is branding. The way that your people speak is branding. Every single thing you do is branding. And then if I think, if I put my service design hat on, everything is, is customer experience, you know, the way you conduct yourself, right. <laughs> how fast or slow you are, you know, the, the, the products and services you decide to sell, how you sell them, who you sell them with, you know, how you talk to people, every single channel you have available, you know, for people to get any kind of exposure from the business. They're having some degree of an experience. So it's, for me, yeah. I always find it a bit difficult, not difficult, but it's one of those terms where it can mean so much. That it can be quite difficult to kind of pin down. So I'm wondering whether, in your kind of experience, how do you like to define customer experience? What is it that it means to you?
1: Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, as as, as you as you describe the branding perspective and marketing and customer, so I find that with so many of us, like we interpret customer experience through the lens that we're that we're wearing the, the experience we have or the role that we're in. But here, here's how I define customer experience broadly. And this, this really does involve everything you just mentioned and just anything that happens that, that's going to create that that perception, that experience that our organizations that our, our customers have. So so three three points. Um, everything a prospect or customer hears about your organization Every interaction they they have with your organization and its products and services, and ultimately how they feel about your organization. You know, if I were to mention different company names, they're different organizations, you know, some of them would would create feelings of excitement, and others maybe feelings of dread. With with some of us, we have to be their customers, and it's painful at times. Uh, but you know, people will hear that definition like. How do we control everything a prospect hears? Well, we obviously can't, but can we do such a great job that customers are inclined to say good things about us? You know, you bet. Can we control every interaction they have? Well, you know, some don't go quite as well as others, but if we set up the right technology and processes and a culture to ensure the vast majority of interactions go well, you know, we're going to be on the right track. So it really is a team sport. It, it, it's everything. It's marketing and uh, accounting and the expectations we set and the legalese and the documents and the service and just everything we do, which is what makes it fun and also there's a little danger, you know, some just throw their hands up and say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't lead the whole thing. So um, I'm out right, or I'll, I'll do what I can on my little bit. No, we, we've we got to be intentional and press in as a team and and really help each other out to, to, to get this right. Mm. And for some companies, focusing on customer
0: experience and, and trying to shape what people hear, trying to be methodical and purposeful about how people experience the business for some companies it kind of is almost like either second nature or is their actual nature you know if you think about some a company like uber for example built with the sole purpose of providing a good customer experience otherwise people wouldn't use it kind of thing a lot of companies these days are actually built on having fantastic customer experience. I can think of Monzo Bank, for example, Stalin Bank, and a couple of those like digital native banks that that have been built on the internet. Digital first, customer experience is the single most important thing that they kind of focus on. For other companies... You kind of you mentioned there some, some companies that don't make us feel that good. some companies that have you know monopolies. you can think of the, the telco industry, for example, where there's you know few players that have most of the market. Government is a real example. I know you've worked with some government agencies in the past. Government where people have to use their services. It's not a choice. If you need a passport, you need to tax your car, you need a driving license, you have to use the government services. There's nothing else you can do about it. I suppose there's other industries as well that might be similar. Healthcare in the UK certainly is very much like that. And so I'm wondering from your experience in those areas where an industry or a business isn't kind of customer experience first and doesn't really have the same kind of incentives as some others where customer experience is the differentiator. How do you like to talk about the importance of it to those kind of companies, like for government agencies, healthcare bodies, those kind of companies where they all are telco, there is a more monopolistic kind of arrangement? Why should yeah. those kind of companies focus on customer experience?
1: Yeah, boy, that's a great question. You know, a big part of the answer is that customer experience isn't just delivering benefits for our customers. It, it, it has a huge impact on our employees and our customers experience us once for a short period of time, um, more than once. They're ongoing customers, but they they Experience us in bits and pieces as, as we um, serve them and are, are part of their lives. But uh, those of us in the middle of it, we're in the middle of it every day. I mean, every hour of every day. So, um, yeah, I'm a large government agency that we've worked with has been going through this huge turnaround and they they really didn't have a good vision. They are a monopoly, you have to use their service, but they came up with a vision that, to, to make government services simple so that people can get on with their lives. Make government services simple so people can get on with their lives. And I love that because it puts the focus on the customer it gives me, if I'm an employee of theirs, it gives me a, a sense of purpose. You know, whatever my role is, how are we making things simple for our customers so that they can get on with their lives? Puts the focus in the right place. And who's going to win when we do that? Our, our customers, but all of us. I mean, our, our processes are going to have to be aligned. Our, our culture is going to have to be aligned. And it's just a way better, <laughs> way more fun environment to work in. We, we really see what, what difference we're making and have that sense of purpose. So everybody wins. I think that's a big part of that. Uh, mm. the, the answer to that puzzle. Mm.
0: Interesting. Um, there's, as I said, some some companies it comes kind of more natural to, and you know you can you can see customer experience, That the concept of customer experience has its kind of tentacles in almost everything that you do. You mentioned their internal staff and stuff like that, you know, being customer focused, giving them a purpose, making them kind of rooted in the ethos of the company and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's it's interesting how when we talk about customer experience, a lot of the time the conversation comes comes around to the call centers, whereas there's a lot more stuff that companies... Do and 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 all that kind of stuff that, that impacts customer experience. I'm wondering why, in your mind, does the call center or contact center kind of take up so much space in our brain when we think about customer experience?
1: Yeah, it's all that stuff that the company does that isn't so visible that creates all that work in the contact center. <laughs> that the, the, the cynic might. Might say, uh, but it, it, it's a really good point. I mean, contact centers are so visible, so forward-thinking. And what do we do the first time we have an issue? I got a I got a fraud alert yesterday on a um, a credit card, and I haven't had this happen for for years. Thank goodness. But um, I'm sitting here working, just doing doing my, my to-do list yesterday and I get this this bang on email and then a notice on text and first thing you wonder is is, is it is it a hoax um, it looked legit and I, I knew it was legit because they, they included enough of my information that um, all right this is probably the real deal so um, so I called um, I it was American Express, American Express card. They were fantastic, but but before I even dialed the number, and it's Amex. I've worked with them. They've been a client. I know they do. (laughs) Uh, Overwhelmingly, they do a a, a good job. I, I got that pit in my stomach, like this is going to be a hassle um just having to to go through this and they made it super easy they were empathetic the process was great i've got a card on the way i actually travel later this week i'm like i'm going to be out of town and i kind of need to use this card i've got a backup but and they're like "Well, we'll, we'll overnight it so i think you know to your question the contact center is so visible and that's that that is where we have to go, and if they do a great job, where we get to go when, 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 when we most need them. Mm, interesting.
0: That's a nice way of putting it. That if we do a job where we get to go, as in, it's an opportunity from a customer's perspective to to liaise with that part of the business. Because a lot of the time in the in the past, the call center has been a place where you know you mentioned there, alluded to it that something happens in another part of the business sales breaks down or there's something wrong with the product or the service is faulty or, you know, someone needs to make a claim for something or whatever it might be. Like, parts of the business that offer the products and services tend to be separate from the call center, but the call center picks up the flack. So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's historically been seen as that, isn't it? Which is almost like the place where that deals with the fallout from other parts of the business. Whereas yeah. these days, it actually is, you know, you mentioned there, good experience with American Express. Contact centers now manage pretty much every channel for for a business. Some people might not even know that when they're sending a text message, responding to a text message to their uh, mobile network provider, they might not realize that they're having an experience with the contact center, but yet they are. So... Uh, Do you think that it's, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is the contact center reshaping its reputation from being the place where people go when things go wrong to a place where people want to go because it's a good
1: experience? I do. I I think there's been enormous progress in uh, developing an understanding across the organization of what the contact center can do, how we can serve other parts of the organization. You know, we've got such incredible visibility, on processes and issues that um, you know, we really where we can innovate across the organization. So I do think there's been a, a, a tremendous cultural upgrade in contact centers, and they're pretty amazing places to you know to be a part of. I mean, just the the multiple channels that you know everything. Comes in the the contact center touches everything, anything going on across the organization. um, We're a part of it, so it's just a fascinating place to be, content wise and and channel wise, and working with our colleagues across the organization. Those opportunities, just a super fun leadership opportunity, and 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 really engaging for anyone who's a part of a you know, a forward-thinking contact center that really is creating value. So short answer is, yeah, there's, there's been a real cultural upgrade. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, you you mentioned the other week, you you had an
0: interesting post around the contact center becoming uh, an insight center. And we've heard lots of, you know, stories and stuff like that over the last few months and years and such about contact centers becoming revenue centers where I think we had Mark Bernstein on the show from Bolto and he's uh, the CEO of Bolto and he was talking about a time when he called, he was calling, I think it was his mobile phone carrier and he was calling to, I think he was trying, either he was going to leave, I can't remember exactly what it is, so forgive me for getting this wrong, but he was either going to leave the contract or he was calling to... Um, Query a bill. I think he was actually going to leave. This I think that's probably what it is. I think he was calling, about to leave, and the the experience he had with the person on the other side was that you know they were really apologetic, really empathetic. They had the kind of like uh, autonomy to be able to wipe clean the previous charges on the bill and refund them and stuff, and then offered to discount the ongoing bill for the next twelve months, providing they were going to he was going to stick with the contract and stuff like that. And so it's kind of like taking a bad situation, turning it into a positive for the customer. But then at the end. Uh, the the person who he was speaking to said oh and by the way we're doing a different deal on new lines so if you want to take out a different contract with us uh, we're doing a really good deal on those now and explain the deal and stuff like that anyway it just so happened that Mark was interested because he was thinking about getting a contract for his wife and putting them on the same contract and that's what ended up happening so a call that was beginning as I'm going to leave turned into a call where there was one contract for 12 months plus a brand new product sold at the end of it. And so it's not this place necessarily where customers go to complain. It's it's becoming the place where it's a, re- it's a revenue generating part of the business as well. I wonder if you can kind of shed a bit of light on your observations in how the contact center has changed and evolved over the last few years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great example. You mentioned my, my, my question would be, could we have, can we have saved that account and and built that loyalty before it ever had to become a save? Because he probably ended up in some super agent group that they've got the, you know, they've got the empowerment to solve all these issues and, and, and make decisions and and make things great. And we, we don't want it to have to get to a group that has to save us. So no, I don't want to assume that that's what happened, but I'd, I'd want to ask that internally, you know, what, mm-hmm. what can we do to, keep mark from getting to that point in the first place because it was risky we could have we could have lost him mm-hmm. but but yeah the the, the contact centers has been involved so so much more in cross-functional value and just one simple example we, we did some work for a consumer products company that um, they they have their their contact information on the side of their, every product. You would recognize them in, in grocery stores and just these are commodities, right? Five dollar and twelve dollar and um, twenty dollar items and pounds marks whatever the case may be depending on on where where they are and and if you have a question or something need to run by them or bad experience you can you can uh, uh, reach them through one of these contact channels well they their contact center was the second to lowest part of the organization in terms of um, uh, of employee satisfaction and i went in and spent some time with them and, and, and it was Kind of asking why, and one one employee was like, "Why not? We handle gripes all day. I mean, how valuable can that be?" I'm like, well, why are you here?" Then <laughs> it's like, "Get my foot in the door, you know, I'll get a real job as soon as I can." I mean, just this this awful stereotype. So we we sat down and and kind of kicked this around with some of their employees. Like, this is a huge opportunity. How can you make this more valuable? And one of the things they came up with is what can we learn from these interactions and they discovered with just and they didn't have the latest systems or anything at the time they they were just using what they had just basic call types they uh, and some coding they were doing they learned that eleven percent of the contacts in one of their spray cleaning products was because the childproof cap was hard to remove so you'd buy it take it home and you know, force it off and all too often you'd shear off the spray nozzle. So most customers would throw it away, don't buy that brand again. Thank goodness for those few percentage-wise who reached out and said, hey, I just wasted this money. Um, And and they were able to make it right and send them coupons for replacements and and that sort of thing. But they took that data to their, their packaging supplier and it was irrefutable. It's like, we've got a problem here. So they redesigned the cap and those contacts just went away. And they're like, whoa, that was just a little initiative on our part. And it's saving us millions of dollars a year. What can we do beyond that? And they went on to inspire new product lines from what they were learning. They were a part of innovation efforts and research and development. These were commodities. I mean, my goodness, if if you can do it with commodities, you can do it with with anything. And the uh, employee satisfaction surveys, this was months down the road. They went from second to lowest um, in satisfaction across the organization to second to highest. They, they, their turnover went way down they were a place people wanted to work um, they had their employees involved in, in these cross-functional initiatives and and, and they were enjoying uh, learning about these other areas and, and how to support them it was just an amazing turnaround so that again if, if a consumer products company can can create that kind of value um, you know anyone can't think how you're impacting your customers and, and, and their their lives Mmm it's interesting cuz the the so in in the natural
0: language processing Field and AI space, uh, the contact center obviously is getting a, a hell of a lot of attention because, as you have mentioned, multiple different channels are all coming into one, pilot or one place. Every one of those challenges is conversational in nature, either voice or text. And so, the ability for natural language processing to do its job in that area is huge. And in that, in that in- instance that you just gave there around using the data that's within the conversations that you're having to inform the business. And there's another really good case study, very similar to that, from ComWave. I have references a few times on the podcast because it's a fantastic one where uh, Penny Conwave's assistant was sitting in the call centre taking calls um, and it was all around kind of like modem rebooting modems raising support tickets stuff like that anyway they noticed that they were receiving a whole load of calls about modems and routers going down in a specific geography and the the uh, that was escalated to the uh, another team in a different space support team or what have you uh, and they realized that actually the whole internet provision to that certain part was completely it completely gone down and so the customers talking to this AI assistant raising a query was able to inform the business that they had an actual problem that they had to go and fix and then they went ahead and obviously got it fixed and so it's it's interesting how the role of technology in this space is kind of evolving. I'm wondering if you've got kind of any comments on on specifically some of the kind of N L P based technologies that you that you're observing. And maybe we can get onto some broader trends as well.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. The, the technology. So, so what this uh, consumer products company was doing with with this very rudimentary data. Imagine the data that we that we have in most contact centers and and the tools that allow us to you know, analytics and and capabilities that allow us to really understand what's what that information is trying to tell us. It's just fantastic. Um, there was a comment in chat. Unfortunately, call center employees are the lowest paid employees at the company. You, that could be the case. Does that make sense anymore? Because when technology really helps us um, offload uh, processes that, that that we'd otherwise have to handle, uh, mitigate things that, that would otherwise be manual processes, we're left with, on the human side, the most complex or emotionally sensitive um, interactions. So are these entry-level jobs? I mean, that's something to something to ask and what we're seeing is a pay upgrade and a, a real, a real boost in the in perception of the kind of employee that we need, but they also need to understand these technology capabilities and how customers are, are interfacing with them as a part of the process um, and what they can do for us in terms of capturing this information. So yeah, tech, it is really exciting what's happening with AI capabilities across the board. You know, from from self service to authentication to uh, analytics tools that really help us understand that information, to you know the kinds of complementary um, uh, apps that are that are sitting alongside of agents and helping us add this and pull this information in and and work this and drop it into this screen. And when you, you sit next to a, a a contact center agent, you you see all of these. Opportunities and and those who are, are really beginning to you know, embed IA into the AI, AI into these processes and other capabilities are seeing this in tremendous results. Mm,
0: mm, definitely. Um, thank you. I didn't come. It didn't come up on here when I when I played the comment. Um, but the comment was from Laurie McCool. Um, thank you, Laurie, for the comment. Um, and so it, it's interesting, that isn't it? You mentioned there around call center staff being potentially the lowest paid out of the whole organization yet at the same time there was a really interesting article i think it was something like is it the contact center collective or something like that i might be getting that wrong but it it, was an article about how um call center jobs are no longer entry-level jobs and there was a really good argument in there which was around how you know when you're working in the call center you need to have real kind of incredible levels of empathy you know you need to be able to really actually troubleshoot and figure out what's actually going wrong with somebody so you need to have a knowledge of the business processes and knowledge of the products knowledge of the service then you need to have knowledge of all the different systems that you're using from the phone system to the CRM to other line of business systems and potentially be able to use a number of those different systems at any one time to resolve different queries then you need to be able to understand what actually to do next about it and then you need to be pleasant at the same time never really get kind of like caught off guard keep your composure so you need to understand technology you need to understand people and you need to understand the business and and yet it's an entry-level position and then plus add on the ai side of things so now call center agents are ai trainers and stuff like that and it's like it almost seems like it's probably one of the most multi-skilled roles that you can get
1: (laughs) i I, I am smiling i'm laughing because i will say the same thing. You said it better than I do in <laughs> workshops with execs. I mean, if, if we were to drop in from Mars and start all over here, or just take a look around at what we've got today and all the things you just, you just described so well, would these be entry-level jobs? And you, these are some of the most um, demanding and interesting roles that that we can find across the organization. And it, the, I think the I think the key for us from an executive decision level is to ensure that we are creating that strategic value you know there, there there's no such thing as just a low level entry-level context that is very effective out there that's just you, you just can't you just can't run an, an environment that way and expect it to work with with today's multi-channel environment and customer demands and everything. So, so we we've got to step up to the plate. We've got to put the right people in place. We've got to give them the the, the empowerment, the tools, the you know the processes to support them and, and and to support great experiences. But that means we need to create value because it's an investment. You know, we can't do it on the cheap. Uh, but but it's. Um, uh just a huge payoff an amazing roi if we if we do it right so it's a it's a very different mindset than you know deep history if you look at the stereotypes in in contact centers
0: Mm, it's interesting isn't it i mean you mentioned uh, quite a while earlier on around technology and culture and the culture side of things is an interesting one because if an exec or or a senior leader responsible for this part of the business or another part of the business that's being asked to invest in this part of the business, um, you've got a whole load of history and a whole load of kind of baggage to deal with, basically, which is that as we've said, traditionally it's been a place which is um, more about cost cutting than it is investment. And it's been more a place that's all around cheap labor rather than a skill, like viewing it as a skilled workforce. And so all of a sudden you, but you, you do have examples of cultures where it's different you know I always there's a really good example from Tom's Shoes for example where there was no KPIs around you know average call handling times and stuff like that it was just do whatever you need and there was that famous story about somebody who was just literally on a call with a customer for an hour or eight hours or however long it was just generally having a chat um, and all that kind of stuff and a good one from I think what uh, 1-800-Flowers or 800-Flowers whatever it is um, where somebody made a, a complaint about flowers not turning up on time and it was a really special occasion it was someone's birthday and you know the flowers didn't arrive and all that kind of stuff and then the the flower company basically sent a massive bouquet afterwards uh, with a big thank you and gave them free flowers for 12 months or something like that you know really good examples where doing something as counterculture has really good effects yet there is real ingrained cultural expectations around what a contact center is and how it works. And so when you're working with those executives, how do you begin to change that culture from this is a place that's all about cost cutting and unskilled labor to this is actually a place that is absolutely pivotal for the organization and is a real value generator.
1: How do you have that conversation? that's, That's a really great question. I'll tell you what, I've, I've learned the, um, Kind of the hard way that I can sit in an, in an executive boardroom or in an office somewhere and talk forever, and that might have a little impact, but the the biggest impact comes from uh, getting them into the contact center let 's just go watch what happens and sit there and listen and, you know double jack listen to those interactions. Have that that person handling the interaction explain, you know, why why this is happening, what we need to do, and how we fix it, and and eyes just get open so fast. So get them into the contact center day to take a look at it. Whatever it takes, you know, take them out to lunch, whatever to 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 get them get them in there. Um, and, I, you know, I, you mentioned at the top of the hour organizations that are starting from scratch and and that can be an, a helpful way to think about this. If we were to just start our organization from scratch today, how would we design it? What would the tech look like? What would these job roles look like? And often the the hardest part uh, to, to getting there where we'd want to be is, is the cultural part. Uh, and, and that doesn't have to be. Enormously hard. It, it 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 takes focus and it takes intentionality. And it takes commitment. We can't just say we're going to do something and then not support it in, in everyday jobs. But um, it, it's the cultural part that's so key. So, I, I, you know, an interesting story. I did some work with um, Vanguard, the Vanguard Group, over the years. It's now the largest mutual fund you know, investment company in the states and. Um, back when they were a much smaller organization, their their founder and CEO John C. Bogo, who's recently passed away, is just this tremendous leader in the financial world. Um, he would handle customer calls. He, he would he made that a culture in their organization, and and you'd see him in there in their contact center handling handling contacts, and he wasn't great at it because he didn't do it all the time, and they had to route the simplest calls to him. Um, and and they they call them the Swiss army, this group that would come in and help from the outside. They had to train them and, and, and get the simplest contacts to them when, when their, their volume was under pressure. Um, and he would get, he, he, he would dig in and do a good, as good of a job as he could, but he'd get complaints now and then like, May I speak to your supervisor you know he wasn't about to say oh, I'm the chairman of the board and the, the founder but the the cultural um, the, the cultural implications and, and messaging and him being there and, and others being there and helping out saying this is the most important thing we can do is to be there for our customers was just huge and that sparked a turnaround that really you know really impacted the rest of the organization and what led to so much growth and and you know positive goodwill so i love to see that i'll tell you one more quick story and this just Mm. happened recently and you know i I hope this is encouraging but did some work for a a beauty supply uh, company large beauty supply company and their and their contact center which was my area of focus in this consulting project was uh they were pulling their hair out from the these misses on the part of the warehouse you know orders not showing up and and the wrong thing showing up and you know just blocking and tackling stuff simple stuff and the warehouse kept coming up and boy the warehouse they they, that 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 was where the, the the bad stuff was happening right so so I got their permission. I go talk to them and, and they said, sure. And it was a different city. They had a number of warehouses, but I went to their kind of their, their first and main one, a uh, huge operation near a major airport. It's, you know, it's hard to find all these buildings that are so huge and, and behind a chain link fence. I go through layers of security and I go back in there and, and, um, I uh, met in the uh, warehouse director's office, a very small office, he spent most of his time out on the floor. And, and we talked for just a little bit and he's like, thank you so much for coming here. I, I, I really, no no one from customer service has ever been through here. He's like, no one from about anywhere has ever been through here. And and we came up with stuff on on a chalkboard in his office that were some simple improvements just some misses and I, I'm sitting there thinking they don't need me for this you know you don't need a consultant for that um, get out there and, and look for these opportunities and build those those bridges and those relationships and 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 things you know really begin to turn around not because anything brilliant I did but just because that collaboration was 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 more established, and, and 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 I did encourage them. You you you've got a cross functional team here uh, that that you need to develop and grow. Um, you you can't run a contact center within a contact center. You you've you've got to be out there with your colleagues, um, understanding their world, and how you can serve them if you're really going to create value here.
0: Mm. Um. That's really interesting. Uh, you may say that they don't need a consultant for that, but part of I think what a consultant like yourself brings in that situation is that kind of thinking. Whereas I think that in the day-to-day kind of like, running of a contact center or of a business, it's very hard, I think, for some people to kind of have that overarching view and say, okay, there's a problem in the warehouse. Why don't we just go and talk to the warehouse? Because a lot of organizations are very much organized in these divisions and silos and, you know, sales doesn't speak to complaints or, you know, onboarding doesn't speak to such and such and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, it can be quite a challenge, especially if you don't have a culture based on um, autonomy, if everything's based on permissions, then it gets really kind of difficult. But that's an interesting thing that in terms of going to another part of the organization, uh, it's it's like most contact, most contact centers, certainly that I've worked with in the past, there's always a problem with another part of the business always. And, and that's, where the calls come from and you know doing that work to figure it out it's not intentionally a problem necessarily it's not that a warehouse is purposefully trying to cause problems for customers in order to give the contact center something to do um right. and so spending that time to figure it out obviously helps but do you think that there is a time or a um place where if you get to the root cause, because this is what people always say, isn't it? if you can get to the root cause of the problem, you'll stop the call. The best way of preventing the call is not to shift it from the website onto a live chat or from a live chat into a call center or whatever. It's not about shifting and managing demand, containing demand. It should be about fixing the root cause. Do you think there's, there's ever a way that a business can fix so many root causes that the contact center becomes a totally different place? Or do you think there'll always be problems that lead to those
1: contacts? no i we're i think we're always going to need the contact center i mean i've heard for 30 years that the next great you know technology disruption is gonna gonna get to mitigate the need to even have service in a contact center and that's that hasn't been the case from the internet 30 years ago to smartphones and apps to today ai and and the machine learning the tools we have um but you, you you hit on the you hit on the heart of the matter uh, when we when we mitigate those things that shouldn't be happening in the first place and really get to the root cause, it opens up the opportunity to focus on much higher value um, issues and and really get those right you know there's so much pent up demand right now in most contact centers, especially the last couple of years with the great resignation and the supply chain issues and all the challenges that you know, many are just want to survive today, to you know live today, to fight another day, and get through today. And and we've and we have to be intentional and step back and 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 really look for those opportunities to to um, get at the root cause. And and yeah, the cheapest the cheapest contact isn't one that's handled by AI or some machine. It's one that never happens because it didn't need to happen in the first place. Um, and we we resolve that, and, and that lets us focus on things that are much more interesting and much more, much certainly much more engaging for our, our teams doing this work. Mm, interesting, interesting.
0: Um, there's a really good story. The best, not the best, but the the closest example I've seen. It's not necessarily a contact center that that uh, isn't needed, but it's the closing down of certain channels. Like people think that that like you know. You'll always need the call center. You'll always need a line for people to call and stuff like that. Um and also the other channels like the the chat on the website or the SMS or the the, you know, social messaging, they're the kind of optional ones. But the call center is where the 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 you can't really do anything with that because that's always going to be there. But we had Charles Guth, who is a customer services manager at Decathlon on the show a few weeks back. And what happened is uh because of COVID Everything obviously went online. Decathlon, largely, it was online, but it was largely a physical retailer with physical environments, bricks and mortar. Uh, it was doing some online sales, but nothing quite to what it is now because COVID drove all of that demand online. And what was happening, because they were selling more, they were getting more complaints. And so they literally couldn't handle the amount of complaints, not complaints necessarily, but contacts. So they, they shut the call center because it was like, this is just completely terrible. Like we, we this is like, we, we may as well just not answer calls. Basically, They diverted everything to social media messaging where they could have an asynchronous um, relationship rather than need to respond in real time. Then they started investing in um, automation, you know, conversational automation, conversational AI to the point where Facebook Messenger, Google My Business and WhatsApp began to take on, on an automated way, began to take an increasing amount of contact to the point where they haven't actually reopened their call center. And so, which is which is a real, one is a brave move anyway, uh, but two, the fact that it's actually working is really surprising. I wonder if you've got any other kind of examples of some of this stuff that's like, you wouldn't necessarily forecast it. You might not even recommend it if you were kind of given that project tomorrow, but things that are happening, trends that are occurring that are, you know, notable in your eyes it doesn't have to be to do with AI automation but just generally in the contact center what are some of the things that you've noticed like where things are happening that you wouldn't have forecast and things that you might see more of as well in future
1: yeah. Well, that's an interesting case study. And, you know, one of the one of the things we're seeing it generally is that if if you give customers their choice in channels and and they've got that comfort level, if there's a backstop there, they're they're more used to they're, they're they're more willing to try automation and other channels. We see this with with the large t- some of the large tech companies. Um, you'll be there through through a number of channels, but um, give give them the comfort level that that whatever they try, they're they're going to have an out. They're going to be able to use the channel that makes sense. So um, that that's our general recommendation. You know, just closing off a channel usually doesn't work. Um, really interesting to to see one And I've seen some of the best organizations out there run into seasons where they just can't handle uh, the workload. Um, I'm thinking of a, a manufacturer of high-end audio equipment and and some of the auto manufacturers right now. And um, uh, when it, Zappos, the shoe company closed down for their, their contact center down for a, a time for a, a similar sort of reason, they were just overwhelmed with, uh, with the, the uh, contacts from some of the things that had, that had happened, it, but they used that to, push tools push processes they reopen those those channels but their customers were were able to try some some alternative ways of getting what they need and uh, and it worked so our, our advice our advice is to is to give customers a choice but do a really really good job with your digital channels and continue to build those tools and capabilities create a digital front door where you know you're authenticating them they're in the system so you've got the ability to pull up where they've been what they've done what channel might make sense what next step uh, makes sense, and you can pull them along, guide them along, pull them. Sounds too, you know, too much like pulling. Um, but you can you can open up those doors for them and 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 encourage them along the the path that makes sense, and you'll see good things happen.
0: Mm, interesting on the on the the, the line of channels, as you mentioned, it's unusual for for um, closing down channels entirely to, to have a positive effect. But there's this temptation to open up more channels all the time. So you've got every CCAS provider out there has support for all kinds of different channels and they increase all the time, you know, from, you know, Slack and Teams and, you know, Alexa and Google Assistant and, you know, heaven forbid any metaverse channels that may appear. Then you've got kind of WhatsApp, SMS, you've got RCS messaging on the horizon, you've got Google My Business, you know, Instagram messaging, Facebook messaging, Twitter, LinkedIn, you've got all of the explosion of all these different channels. That's really tempting to a little bit like it was when the internet was First, kind of, you know, blossoming, which is, oh, we need a Facebook page, we need a Twitter account, we need this, we need, we need to be on YouTube, and this kind of like temptation to be pulled in all of these different directions. What's your, te- what's your kind of advice about? the balance between opening up on every channel and giving all of that the attention that it deserves in order to be as customer focused and as kind of like uh, giving people as many options as they can versus yeah. being able to manage that.
1: Really? That's a really good question. Um, and in addition to all those channels in on the operations side, we're, we're making sometimes short, short-term decisions um on on how to handle them so kane you're pretty good at, at at chat we're gonna put you in that group and brad you're okay at this channel so we'll put you over there and uh and so we've got got the slicing and dicing in our operation um in part because of all the slicing and dicing and, and options and channels. so now we end up with this ball of yarn i mean it can be a mess and it is if we don't if we don't get our arms around it it can be a mess and that's why customers run in it is one of the reasons customers run into what they do and you 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 know make mainstream news stories now posts go viral and all that they 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 run into a mess no bad guy just a mess so the tool that we often That we always recommend, and this this sounds I don't know this sounds too technical or something, but but strongly strongly advise that you have to go this route is to develop a customer access strategy. Um, You've got to get your arms around starting at the top. Who are your who are your customers, and what what kind of needs will they have? And that should drive everything then. What channels make sense or today, what combination of channels makes sense? They start out in one and may end up in another, but what combination works the best? Um, What kind of of service levels do we want to establish uh, for for wait times? Um, What kind of um, technology tools and um, agents do we need? Employee skills, do we need to handle that work? You've got to start with the customer. There, there are ten components to a customer access strategy, and I sure won't try to rattle them all off. But in fact, you can go to my website. There's no, there's no gate or anything that is there in, in the uh, resources area of my website. These, these, these ten areas, of customer access strategy. Um, grab that. It's just a, a free guide that we we posted there, and, and go through that with your team. You know, let let's work through each of these components. Do the hard, hard. Yards to think through each of these components and and go forward with a plan. Um, and and with in the absence of a customer access strategy, I just don't see much success. I, it, it just you, you can it, you know it's like whack a mole. You can tamp a problem down for a while. It's going to pop up somewhere else. So you you have to have an overall plan. Nice,
0: nice. We will put that on the website, uh, on, on the show notes. I'm just gonna find it now. Uh, oh yeah, of course, yeah. It's a snippet from your uh, LinkedIn learning, is it? Is that
1: the one I'm looking uh, at? I probably, I probably have a snippet from a, a course on customer access strategy and there's a worksheet and I think it's in the resources area under a, under a tab called worksheet. So, and again, it's not gated or anything. You don't have to leave, you don't, you don't have to leave anything, your email or anything and just grab it and, and, and go. It's just there to, Perfect. to be a, a resource.
0: We will put that uh, in. Oh, yes, there it is. I'll put it in the show notes, and uh, we can link to that. And it's also uh, highlighted in in your book, is it
1: not? The uh, it is actually yeah. in both books. Um, right. it's, it's in leading the customer experience in the um, in, in the customer service section. And customer service is just a part of customer experience, but but a critical part. So it's in it's in leading the customer experience, and it's. Um, I uh, covered quite extensively in, in contact center management on fast forward. Yeah. Okay,
0: cool, cool. We'll, we'll put the links to those two in there as well. Um, I was going to say, let's, should we get into the top to the 10, but I think it might be nice to leave something for people to go and discover potentially, unless you want to give a, uh, maybe the a, a five of the 10 and leave a bit to be desired.
1: Yeah. of customer access strategy specifically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, or, yeah. So, well, th- there's customer access strategy. So who are your customers? Um, what needs would they have what contact channels then make sense what service levels should you establish what tech and human resources do you need and so forth there there are 10 buckets for customer experience as well the higher level part of this and and um, yeah the, the customer experience leadership book covers the 10 and 10 chapters uh here here's a little hint you can go on amazon and grab the table of contents and and get the 10 without without buying the book if you buy the book it's not going to break my heart but this is not (laughs) a a shameless plug that you have to go buy the book but we believe there are 10 pillars to customer experience and and we've we've actually hit a number of them here but vision and and employee engagement and listening to customers voice of the customer uh the strategic value of customer service and so forth so so those are there as well
0: nice wicked well we'll definitely include those links Um, and to wrap up finally what is it that you see kind of happening so covid covid for one has been a massive thing that has you know brought about a load of change across a whole bunch of industries and businesses contact center being uh, really at the heart of a lot of it from a demand perspective initially then from a kind of investment in in technology and automation perspective and so the kind of we've mentioned at the beginning that this journey that the contact center has been on from a place that kind of did deals with everything that goes wrong to a place actually, which is the heart of many businesses where all of the conversations happen in where all of the customers go, uh, where you need a a multidisciplinary workforce with some of the most bleeding edge technology that exists today (laughs) that's that's at use. And so it's become this place of real interest, I think certainly for me and and for, for businesses in general, I would say. And so, where do you think it goes from here? What are the kind of things that you're observing now bubbling on that you think might kind of, you know, be something to watch out for in future?
1: Yeah, that, that, that's a really good question and one that we all need to keep asking. But I would, um, you know, a trend I see and one I would encourage you to be intentional about pushing along is is really understanding other aspects of the operation. So if you're working on the the tech stack and have these cool projects and wow, it can do this and that you can get kind of siloed pretty quickly on Kind of, kind of go down that rabbit's hole, and and you you, you launch something. That it it maybe is successful, or maybe it doesn't quite do what it's supposed to. But having spent time in the contact center and uh, up the supply chain, down the supply chain, you know, with with manufacturing, with the warehouse, with uh, with uh, after sales support, and whatever kind of operation you are, get out there and spend time with your colleagues. I think we're going to see the the growth of uh, customer experience leadership within roles you know it's not a it's not a department or initiative or some super duper group that does that whole thing for our organization it's all of us so i think we're to see the 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 growth of customer experience leadership um, whatever our role and and particularly important for those in in it and working on the technology because it's so powerful when it's aligned to you know what our customers and what our our cross functional needs really are so uh, and that doesn't necessarily dramatically change anything anyone might be working on it just adds context and a richness to you know to to to, to getting it right you know real direction to getting it right so i think we're to see that if they were to see data driven decisions you know we you mentioned conversational ai capabilities to really mine um, you know conversations and 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 that that enormous amount of data that we're collecting in, in all forms and that's exciting um, learning how to use those tools and then learning how to how to act on what we're learning that's it's got to compel change right we've got to Design better products, uh, design better processes, uh, mitigate work that shouldn't happen in the first place. So acting on that information, not just capturing it and 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 being awed by it, but what's it mean for us now? So I think that's going to be a strong uh, trend, um, and 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 again, building customer focus into every every job role. You know, what what's it? going to take for me and my role to really further our our vision and mission to be there for our customers and really have their, have their backs. It, it's such an exciting time and it's been so painful and in so many ways these last couple of years and um, so sensitive to, to how difficult on so many levels it's been. But it, it, the silver lining is it has forced us to innovate and it's put customer experience front and center. It's really, really exciting place to be going forward. Mm, Nice. Well
0: put. Well put. Thank you so much, Brad. That has been really, really interesting. Really appreciate, really appreciate your time. Um, Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, you can find Brad's book, Leading the Customer Experience, uh, and also uh, the second one, which I've got here, uh, Contact Center Management on Fast Forward. I'll put both the links in the show notes as well as the link to the guide that we've been talking about for the customer access strategy. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure, Brad. Thank you so much. It's been really, really good. Thank you, Kane.
1: Really appreciate it. It's my, my
0: privilege. Nice one. we good. Well, thank you, boys and girls. We will uh, be back on Thursday with a webinar with Core AI where we'll be diving into one of the technologies you alluded to actually, Brad, Agent Assist and how that is empowering uh, agents and thus improving customer experience, how you can get started with it, some of the key strategic uh, decisions that you'll need to make and how to go about implementing it. Uh, And then next week, we have uh, two podcasts coming up. One with Unique, Danny Thompson, the CEO of Unique talking about digital humans, which we didn't really get into today. Uh, the concept of you've got conversational AI, but on top of conversational AI, digital humans uh, being able to handle these conversations in different environments uh, emerging as they may be. Uh, and also we have uh, uh, Stefan Biedjerk of, uh, of Rabobank talking about how Rabobank in the Netherlands are using Conversational AI. So please do tune in for that. Thank you again. Brad, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for tuning in, boys and girls. And we'll see you soon.